As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound Off with Kevin. Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Are we hearing the end of all of the restrictions and how will the economy recover? We've got the complete, complete analysis and wrap-up of Fed Chair Jay Powell and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin's full virtual day of testimony to Congress. What you need to know. Plus, we're going to check in with Craig Torres, he's the Bloomberg Federal Reserve reporter. He covered all of this for us. Uh, and Brad Blakeman returns. He is a Republican strategist, former deputy assistant to President George W. Bush. George Say will also check in, CEO of Annandale Capital, Texas businessman, senior advisor to Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio's 2016 presidential run. So lots to get through. We've got an all-star, all-star panel. Texas is open. I'm going to ask George about that. Why is Texas open? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We are awaiting Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas, to join us because there have been, uh, it was a busy day for Fed Chairman Jay Powell, as well as Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, and uh, he's on the line. Congressman Fred Chill, I know you were following this hearing uh, as they were uh, talking to the Senate Banking Committee. What did you gather, Congressman, from what Jay Powell, Fed Chair Jay Powell and Secretary Mnuchin had to say? Well, Kevin, great to be with you. Of First course. and foremost, I was pleased to hear the Treasury Secretary say that the uh, Main Street facility and the municipal liquidity facility would be up and running next week. I was concerned last week when our friend Randy Quarles, the vice chairman of the Fed, said it could be, quote, weeks before they were up and running. So that was encouraging. And secondly, I took away uh, the sense of flexibility on designing these facilities to be meeting the economic crisis we have, not the one that we either had 10 years ago or the one that we read about in a book. So can you, I think, just to go broad for one second, can we talk about specifically what these Fed lending facilities will do? What are they for people who are just tuning in and becoming aware of them? Yeah, it's super important. So there's two sets of Fed facilities. This is where we take money from the Treasury and the Exchange Stabilization Fund that is appropriated money. It's taxpayer money that the uh, Congress has authorized to the Treasury. The Treasury then allows the Fed to leverage 
uh, that money in a special purpose vehicle, an SPV. So there are pre-CARES facilities that the Fed stood up very quickly in March for money markets, for the primary dealers, for the uh, asset-based uh, 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 securities. They got those up and running, and they also announced a primary and secondary corporate bond facility. And when they did that, they really calmed the markets down. We saw fixed income spreads fall for both high-grade bonds as well as high yield. We saw the stock market rally a bit. So that's what they did first using their existing money and their existing leverage. Then in the CARES Act, Congress increased that appropriation to the Treasury, and they've now stood up a Main Street lending facility, which will lend money to bigger companies. Uh, 500 employees and up to 15,000 employees, much bigger revenue scale. They've stood up a municipal liquidity facility, (laughs) which lends money to uh, investment-grade municipal issuers, state issuers. Uh, And so uh, these two are just now in term sheet form and will be available for application and use starting uh, now and next week, and that's what we're all eager to see the results of. And Congressman, I want to ask you about the uh, oversight uh, report uh, in a second, but I want to stay with this because if folks are listening on their way home from work, I mean, it's, it's incredibly important that these lending facilities uh, get up and running. And uh, how is this different than, a, than the bailouts? And I know you probably, maybe we don't want to use the word bailout. How is this nervous, or how is this different than the bailout? Well, look, in 08 and 09, you had the Fed and the Treasury run to the rescue of the American and global financial system, and they were rescuing uh, and using taxpayer money to rescue the very businesses that potentially contributed to the economic crisis. So we have a very different situation here. We have a public health crisis that's created a global economic crisis, and so the Fed and Treasury here are working with the financial institutions, our banks, to get capital out to the productive sector of the economy, our industrial and uh, sector and our small business sector. French Hill's on the line. He's a Republican congressman uh, from the great state of Arkansas. Uh, he also has served in the private sector in the financial services industry. I, I want to get you to weigh in on this because, you know, I want to stay away from the, you know, the Cher Brown theatrics with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and all that, mm. yada, yada. But I, I want to cut to the chase with uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell because he's, whether it's in an interview with CBS News on 60 Minutes, which I thought was incredibly well done, uh, or, uh, or, or his testimony today, he's suggesting that more economic aid, more economic relief might be needed and that Congress might have to step in. He, now, I think where the media misses the mark a bit if I could, is to say he's not endorsing a, the Democrat or Republican plan, he, like the $3 trillion that Speaker Pelosi wants, but he is suggesting that more relief might be needed. Can you give us a snapshot of how realistic another aid bill will be, what might be in it, and when it might come? Well, it's a good question, and I think he's been very cautious about how he describes that. I don't think people should jump to conclusions. I think what he's simply saying is, look, the Fed, due to 13.3 of the Federal Reserve Act and the use of leveraging these facilities, is a lender of last result. They have, they have to lend to solvent uh, entities. They have rules around their ability to help the economy. And this economy may have uh, some more challenging days ahead of it uh, due to the fall-off in tax revenue in a particular state 
or due to a very hurt industry in travel and leisure, for example. So he's simply saying there could be sustained issues here that I can't solve at the Fed. You will have to solve in Congress. Be mentally prepared to look for those gaps. Be mentally prepared to act if that's necessary. And I believe that's a cautious appropriate view for the Federal Reserve Chairman. Okay, and then the report just came out, the Congressional Oversight Commission. Uh, you guys have published your official report. You are the only House member, or you're the only House Republican uh, on this particular uh, committee, along with Senator Pat Toomey, who we've spoken with, Congresswoman Donna Shalala, uh, and Bharat Ram- Ramamurti. Uh, what did you, the chairperson hasn't been appointed, what did you find in the report uh, of giving oversight over the CARES Act? Well, we took an approach, uh, all four of us, and we worked on this in a very bipartisan basis. We took the approach that was taken in December 2008 in the first TARP report. We wanted to ask, what is the Treasury and the Fed's strategy? What are their tactics in using these facilities to get the economy back to full capacity? And then we had some particular questions about the uh, actual use. And the good news is these questions will guide us over the next few weeks as we meet with Treasury and the Fed to determine what they're doing and is what they're doing going to be successful in our view. You know, Congressman Frenchill, you've always been such a friend of the program. You you and I have talked for years now. uh, And, uh, you know, I know you're on this bipartisan committee doing oversight. It's such important work. But, you know, I have I have a lot of confidence that 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 this team is going to make sure. And it's a very ideologically diverse, diverse panel. Uh, but I have a lot of confidence in the team, and you know it's important. So I appreciate you, Congressman, coming on to tell us about that uh, reporting because a lot of small businesses, as you and I have talked about, both offline and online, are in dire need of this to, to, keep, uh, to keep open. So thank you. My best wishes, Kevin. Thanks. Let's stay in touch. All right, we will. We'll talk soon, my friend. Coming up, we check in with Craig Torres for more on that hearing. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and for Bloomberg Radio. I want to stick with this incredibly monumental, monumental story of Fed Chair Jay Powell and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin testifying before the Senate Banking Committee earlier today. When we heard from Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas, to kick things off, he's the only House Republican on the oversight panel of of the CARES Act. Uh, And there's just so much money, so much money being injected into the economy right now. And uh, even Powell was was has been signaling that might more money might be needed for for Congress to appropriate. But but a lot of people are taking that to suggest that he would want the Speaker Pelosi plan. But I'm not sure that I'm hearing that. I think that what we heard we just heard from uh, uh, Representative Hill is that he's just saying be ready to inject more in case that might be needed. Let's get more analysis and reaction from Craig Torres, Bloomberg Federal Reserve reporter. Craig, what were your big takeaways from the testimony earlier today? Let's start uh, where you started, Kevin. I heard Powell say we're at the front end of um, Fed stimulus. In other words, we're still implementing the job you gave us to do. Um, There are several facilities that aren't even open yet. Um, I can think of the 
one where they're going to loan directly or buy bonds directly from corporations. And, of course, the Main Street lending facility, which he said will be open by the end of the month, with the Boston Fed team working 24-7 trying to get it up on its legs. So I thought that was interesting. Like, we still are trying to shove out um, the money you gave us back when you signed the CARES Act uh, at the end of March. You know, I think that's a great point, and I, and I think that when you talk about a $600 billion, $600 billion Main Street lending program uh, to be opened and up and running by the end of May, just for comparison's sake, you know, there was a lot of headlines yesterday about China. They're giving $2 billion just to the World Health Organization uh, to help, I guess, with the, with the pandemic aftermath. $600 billion Fed lending, Main Street lending program is what the U.S. is doing just domestically in addition to the three tr- or $2 trillion worth in the CARES Act. So the U.S. is really uh, doing a lot here to, to, to continue with the recovery. I want to go really broad because I know that we at Bloomberg are so good and so uh, really, I would argue we do it better than anyone, uh, about you know what exactly the the, the ins and the outs of the, of the Main Street lending program. But if you're in your car on your way home from work, what is it going to do for your small business? Or what is it going to do for the company that you work for, Craig Torres, Bloomberg Fed reporter, this Main Street lending program when it's open by the end of the month? It's basically like a um, revenue replacement loan. So, you know, right now, if you're, uh, let's say you have a couple sushi franchises and Nobody's coming to the door for takeout, and you know you've lost your 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 hemorrhaging money. Well, you can borrow this loan. There's a portion of it that'll be um, where the interest is suspended, so you don't have to pay it back right away. And um, it's only for two years, relatively low interest rate, and it's basically you know to bridge you through this um, if you need it. That's all. It's pretty simple in its in its in its idea. What did um, uh, what did they have to say about unemployment and the effects of unemployment the longer that this goes on? Right. So, what we learned from the last two jobless recoveries is the longer people stay out of the labor market, the more their skills erode, and the harder it is for them to get back in the market. So this is a big concern by Fed officials, that maybe if we can bridge loan companies, we can keep them standing so that when Governor X or Y says you can reopen, they can put those employees back to work. In other words, the desks haven't been auctioned off, the ovens haven't been sold, whatever. That you know, We want to keep these businesses standing. Kevin, I think this is Jay Powell's biggest worry. We have thousands and thousands of small businesses, even medium-sized businesses, you know, with millions of dollars in revenue that are capsized right now. And we have to right-side them up, make sure they're floating. That's what the Main Street Lending Facility is going to do, so that when we go back to work, there are actual jobs for people to go back to. It's so interesting, and it's so fascinating. And, of course, we all still remember the 2008 economic Great Recession. And so, But the comparisons, I mean, it's just so different this time around. Did they say anything, or what did you glean, Craig Torres, uh, Bloomberg's Federal Reserve reporter, about how they're watching the structural changes, not just in the United States, but worldwide, about when we recover 
from this pandemic, both health and economic-wise, that the post-pandemic economy might be structurally different than when we went into it? Well, you hear Jay Powell. I mean, what's funny is, you know, they don't have a strong answer for that because he keeps saying, you know, I mean, we're not epidemiologists. So it's even hard for them to have a a forecast right now. We don't know if there's going to be a resurgence of... Americans are going to behave um, in public space um, the way they're, you know, governments are asking us to. We just don't know. So, and neither does the Fed. Are do they think it's going to be different? Oh yeah, like you know, they know what you and I know. Like we're going to have to have until we have a vaccine, we're going to have to have social distancing. Remote work will be a thing for millions of us. So, sure, it'll be different. They haven't made any grand pronouncements the way some economists are making about what this means for productivity, long run, et cetera. That's too early for that, I think, in their minds. And Craig, just uh, what are you going to be what, – what did Secretary Mnuchin say? And is, is, he, is he on – is he echoing President Trump in terms of reopening the economy, or did he – was there any differences that you noticed between the two, or are they speaking from the same playbook? a really interesting question. Um, <laughs> I think I've had to watch. I, I don't cover um, Secretary Mnuchin, but I am watching him because he's working so closely with the Fed. I do see him uh, wanting to push these programs forward, be it paycheck protection, you know, where the smallest businesses keep employees on the payroll and get a government grant for doing so to the largest corporate Fed facilities. I see him 100% 100 involved in those and wanting them to be successful. All right, Craig Torres, breaking it all down for us. So much great insights. Thank you, uh, Craig Torres. Stay well, my friend. He's Bloomberg's uh, Federal Reserve reporter. Coming up, much more policy and politics. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. And I finally finished, I finally finished The Last Dance on ESPN. And I got to tell you, if you haven't seen the last episode, it is so good. It is so good. So well done. I just wish it was longer. What am I going to watch now? I mean, seriously, what am I going to watch now? There's nothing on. Can't stream. Can't stream. Can't, no, 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 can't watch ESPN. 
You know, I was, I was, anyway. Uh, joining us on the line, I wonder if he's watched it. George C., CEO of Annandale Capital, Texas businessman and a former senior advisor to Marco Rubio's 2016 presidential campaign. George, did you watch uh, The Last Dance on ESPN? Every episode. It was amazing, right? What did you think of the final episode? I loved every single one, I, I, in, in, including the final one. I, I thought that was spectacular documentary TV, and I, I, I totally appreciate Ken Burns' comment that he never would have done that show because Jordan had so much control over the content. But I, I don't think that show deified Jordan. It showed a lot of his faults and where, and where he went wrong. But it's funny that, that he's come back into the consciousness because I've always used the – from an investment standpoint, that that I, I I'm certainly not Michael Jordan, but that like Michael Jordan, when there's three seconds on the clock, I want the ball. Period in life, every time. <laughs> I love that. So. I love that. See, I've always kind of imagined myself to be, you know, more of an Allen Iverson type. But hey, who am I to judge? Uh, George, we've got a lot. Possibly to be. You can't possibly be that tatted up. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> he's my favorite athlete of all time, Allen Iverson. Because when I was <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, that he was in his peak. Uh, I wish they would do one on him. If they did, I would go insane. Anyway, the thirty for thirty on him is really good. Anyway, enough about that, George. Uh, what's going on in Texas? You're down there in Texas. What part of Texas are you at? You guys are open for business. Things are down are normal down there, aren't they? Dallas, Texas, USA, we're wide open for business. You can only fill up a bar 25%, but basically everything else is turned back on. See, that's that's now why is that? What do you attribute that to, just being down there? Because where I am in Washington, D.C., everything is basically still locked down and shut down. Nothing's open. Um, and we're getting some word from Mayor Bowser, according to local reports and comments that she has made earlier today, uh, that on Thursday they might be announcing phase one of how it would look should they begin to reopen on June 8th, uh, but we still don't know. But it seems like we're trending in the right direction. But what are they pointing to down in Texas for why you guys have been able to uh, reopen? Well, I think part of it's luck. And, and I would say that, that quite a few big city mayors on the left have expressed quite a bit of discomfort that we're reopening and, and, and some county judges as well. But I think the reality is Texas is lucky and big, both. Um, we're lucky that the virus didn't hit us hard early, especially after Mardi Gras just made it explode in, yeah. in, in New Orleans. And we're also lucky to be big because we're so spread out that there you, you could treat the state in a much more complex fashion than you can treat Los Angeles or Washington, D.C. or New York. They're so dense. There's communities like Dallas or Houston or, or San Antonio or Austin that are pretty dense and have high populations, and they have to be treated one way. But, but, but Gillespie County down in the Texas Hill Country in central Texas, where we've got a, a vacation home, they've had two cases of the virus total in the county. So you can treat that county like a whole different animal like that, as long as you don't have a whole lot of people coming in and out. And the governor from the beginning said, you know, don't travel unless you have to. So the travel was cut down significantly. So I just don't think the virus has been able to spread very well down here. Now, you know, next fall, we're going to find out whether this thing explodes back into action like so many people predict. It, it, there's just so much unknown. It, it's, it's a strange world we live in today because we're all guessing. Nobody knows. So what Dr. About, Fauci doesn't know. Dr. Burks doesn't know. President Trump don't know. They're all guessing. So what about, okay, one thing that, we, that has also been rocking uh, the, the markets is, is energy, and especially with how the Saudi and Russia situation has played out. How, what, have you, what are your 
observations on on where things stand in the energy markets uh, based upon all the latest developments with Saudi? That's a great question. So I have viewed Saudi Arabia as a frenemy since 9-11. And I, I now would even remove the, the FR uh, part of that. Since they joined Russia in taking that p- preposterous action, um, I, I think that we just need to, to completely reevaluate how we interact with the Saudis and, and not treat them like an open enemy like the Russians, but use them for, our, for when they, sh- they suit our purposes and otherwise pay as little attention to them as possible. We don't need their oil. The guy running the country now, the, the, the princeling, who's barely 30-plus years old, has proven hey, I'm he's 30. For the record, incompetent. I'm 30. Go ahead. Yeah, I think he's 34, but I'm not sure. But he's, <laughs> he's proven himself to be completely incompetent and a very rash person as well. And if he maintains his hold on that country over the long term, I think it'll be a little miraculous because he's made thousands of enemies in the royal family and and thousands of enemies around the rest of the country by the heavy-handed approach he's taken and him locking them all up in that Ritz-Carlton at one point. So we in Texas feel this very, very strongly because we're having a tremendous amount of economic pain down here, not just over oil, but we've got a huge healthcare industry down here, and they're, they're all feeling the pain too. That's one of the, another ironies of the bug, the Wuhan bug, is that people don't realize that healthcare should be uh, in the chips with all the, the new disease they have to treat and all the cases they have to treat, but nobody's going anywhere near a hospital right now. So a lot of uh, for-profit hospitals and doctors' offices and all that are threatened with bankruptcy, just like so many other businesses. George says on the sees on George sees on the line. He is CEO of Annandale Capital. Uh, George, what would you say if you were in office right now? If you were an elected official? If you were governor of I don't know Texas? What would be the first thing that you do in order to kickstart the economy? Gosh, I love questions like that. Well, the the number one thing I would do would be to hold a daily press briefing where I spoke for no more than five minutes and I let all the medical professionals give the update on everything else until we're through this crisis. And second, I wouldn't use my time to air every grievance I have in the in the world. I would use that time to encourage the American people and to provide empathy and mutual sorrow for those who've lost loved ones or have had people get really super sick on on all that. And I would do my very best to encourage and give the FDR fireside chat kind of remarks where, where people come away feeling determined to get us all through this. On the economy, compassionate uh, that's conservatism. A real, that's what a, I'm hearing, wait, before you go on the economy, what I'm hearing is compassionate conservatism. Go ahead. Yeah, that's that's where I live. That's the neighborhood I live in, period. And and, and equal emphasis on both. No, no sacrifice of, of conservatism for compassion. I think Mike Gerson in particular is heavily criticized by the right for being kind of a big government, uh, compassionate conservative. I'm not a big government advocate. I'm not a big spending advocate. Both C's, compassionate and conservative. (laughs) So on the economy, we're in a really rough spot right now because our debt is getting so outrageously large that it's going to stultify economic growth and call for higher taxes for years to come to overcome this thing. So we can't keep spending like a drunken sailor forever. I'm completely behind everything that's been done so far by the government. It's been a really nice job. But I think the Fed is the entity that's really most responsible from here on out to keep things going. And Chairman Powell over the weekend said that he's got plenty of bullets left and there's nothing they can't do. And that's the main reason the market went up 900 points yesterday. So 
I would be just doing everything I could to encourage the Fed and stay out of its way because I think the Fed's doing a great job. All right. In 90 seconds that we have left, what about China? How is this going to impact the U.S.-China trade relations? And is there a way to get Europe back on board with the United States? Not even back on board, but just speaking from the same playbook as the U.S. when it comes to China. I think that'll be difficult as long as the president's in office. I think he's he's really had a hard time connecting with the European leaders or until there's a turnover in those chiefs of state. As for China, our bilateral relationship with the Chinese who are an enemy of the United States is going to be the number one foreign policy and domestic policy challenge I think we have in the next 50 years. And how we play that hand is going to determine greatly whether we continue to be the most powerful and most wonderful country in the world or we start to fade. And uh, this Wuhan bug, and I don't have any problem calling it a Wuhan bug or a China bug because that's where it came from. And that's how we've done all these pandemics in the past. You name it after predominantly where it came from. And I think that both the Congress, the president, the military, and our economy have a huge challenge ahead in terms of facing off an enemy, China, but doing it in a way where we don't completely shut down trade with China and the way we interact with them. George, George C., I appreciate the time. I'll catch up with you later. Thank you so much. Much more coming up ahead. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Bittersweet. A bittersweet symphony. Maybe that's a good song for these times. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, Tuesday, folks. Tuesday, windy Tuesday here in the nation's capital. Windy. That wind was windy. Brad Blakeman, Republican strategist, former deputy assistant to President George W. Bush. Brad, it's windy today. It is windy. It's a toupee alert. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't want to get in trouble, Brad. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. It's not even fr- It's a three-day weekend. Hey, Brad, you going to the, the, down the shore this week? Or I guess up the shore if you go to Jersey where I we used to go. You going to the shore this weekend or are you staying put? That's the big question I have for people. Are you getting out this weekend or are you staying put? I'm staying put. I'm gonna I'm gonna get out. I don't necessarily think I'm gonna go to the beach, but I'm definitely gonna get out. I got cabin fever big time. Oh, I don't get me wrong. I have cabin fever. I go on like a trillion walks a day. Okay, but I, where, where would you go? I mean, because the beaches are I guess are technically open, right? Yeah, they are. Uh, great Falls Park uh, near us in Virginia oh, is a great beautiful. place. Beautiful. Uh, old Old Town in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Uh-huh. National Harbor. Great places to go. The National Mall. We got a lot of choices. Here. I go to the National Mall. I, I go. That's that's where I do most of my my walks and my runs and everything. Um, it's 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 so surreal to be down at the National Mall and still have it so empty. It's so empty, but it's uh, but people are very much respecting social distancing down there. And you know, I give I give Washingtonians a a, a massive, massive, massive round of applause, thumbs up, amount of gratitude, all of that for how I feel. Everyone's been respecting in the D.C. Beltway vibe uh, world. I feel like they've been respecting it. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Brad, what's going on with 2020? Uh, Trump versus Biden. What are, your, what, are you, what are you noticing? What, what I'm noticing is, you know, the Democrats are citing national polls. Um, but, you know, I think they make a big mistake because if you look at the recent polling in battleground states um, like Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Trump's doing uh, fairly well. So while Trump may have a national disadvantage in a popular vote, um, he still has uh, an electoral 
uh, advantage in uh, current polling. So it's going to be a barn burner no matter what, as far as uh, the closeness of this election cycle. And typically, you know, people go into the voting booth in presidential years asking themselves, am I better off today than I was four years ago? Well, the answer is no. Well, economically right now... Right now, economic. So, how do you how do you answer that? Or how do I guess the better question for you, Brad, as a strategist, how do you make the pitch to voters who are furloughed or laid off and have taken a whacking economically that they're better off four years ago than today? Now, I don't think any. I mean, even Joe Biden came out and said he doesn't blame specifically the president for the virus itself. No one's blaming. Biden for the virus. No one's blaming Trump for the virus. Now the handling of the virus, that's up for, you know, that's what everyone's debating. But how do you make that pitch if you're Trump and Biden, especially when, quite honestly, in the short term, people might be really feeling it, more than feeling it. They might be hammered. There's there's no doubt. And and the question that's normally asked is not going to be asked uh, because clearly people are not better off than they were. The question is, um, who are they going to count on to lead them through to the end of this crisis? Because I can tell you right now, as much as we're going to try and get back to normal, whatever that new normal will be, is we will, we will not be made whole by Election Day economically. People will still be suffering. The question is, who do they count on for leadership to take them through? Now, we just know, uh, you know, the results of a presidential election, if they were to change presidents, um, then Trump would be a lame duck which would not be good as we're battling this crisis continually. I think that is one of the selling points is that Trump has has really, I think, done a good job in leading us through this crisis to date, um, saving the economy from uh, total meltdown and, uh, and providing relief for those who most need it. And then, of course, if a new president came in in January, it takes them, as we all know, more than 90 days to get their footing. So the question is, is it worth a change, or do you do, do we trust Trump to see us through? That is the question. Did you see this? Governor Tom Wolf made uh, a quip. T- Governor Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania, he's a Democrat. Uh, he made uh, a comment uh, to to uh, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger because he got a haircut. He got a haircut. Did you see this, Governor Tom Wolf, no, I didn't see it. De- Democrat? He says, quote, when you go to something like a barber shop and you're not protected, I don't care who you are. The chances of that virus wreaking havoc on your life increases. I don't think any Pennsylvanian ought to take that chance. I certainly don't want to take that chance myself. Everyone's talking about haircuts. And I guess it's on the mind of Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf. Uh, anyway. Uh, OK, but what makes you nervous? OK, so you gave us that you think, you know, you're a Republican strategist. You think that the president's doing a good job and whatnot. But what makes you nervous? Because those polls got to make you nervous because I haven't seen much of Joe Biden. I have not seen him out there really as much as I've obviously seen the president. Uh, and so why is he doing better nationally and in battleground states, according to the polls? Not pulling away, not double digits, but he's still he's still got a lead. Well, I, I think, you know, the the problem of leadership is sometimes it's not fully recognized or appreciated in in the moment. And uh, the president right now is being hit every day with tough decisions that he has to make for the good of the order. And uh, Biden uh, is in the bunker. I call him Puxatani Joe, because when he comes out of the bunker, all he's going to see is Trump's shadow. 
which may forecast four more years of Trump. But um, I, I think Joe Biden is is uh, whatever benefit he's getting of being in the bunker, I think once he comes out, will uh, evaporate because um, right now he doesn't he's not leading. He doesn't have a kitchen cabinet uh, meeting in his home. He, he's not reaching out. Barack Obama has been more in the in the press than Joe Biden. And what do you envision? So Democrats are saying that their convention is going to move, likely could move fully virtual. I don't think Republicans will do that. But how do you think, I guess, do you think that this election will be precisely about COVID-19? Or do you think there could be an, an, an unforeseen issue that, that Americans are voting on? Uh, because, you know, it, it, you know, if there, there's so many unknowns. I mean, that's what is so hard to plan and even coverage of this election is because we don't know if there's going to be a resurgence in the fall. We don't know if, how the economy will look in the fall. And we don't know if there could be another issue. No one was talking about a pandemic. No one was talking about a pandemic even three months ago. Um, and so, you know, I mean, but, do, but from where you are, are, are both sides just fully preparing to have a COVID-19 election? Or could there be another surprise? Well, there can always be another surprise. And unfortunately, the surprise, I think, would come internationally. Um, if there were an attack or, or uh, something that would divert the attention away from COVID-19. But COVID-19 certainly is going to be in the aftermath of, uh, of the economy uh, and the wreak and havoc it has had is going to be a main topic. The economy is always the deciding factor in a presidential election cycle, this more than ever, um, because we will not fully be through this crisis uh, by Election Day. Um, it, it, many noted economists have said that, you know, this is this is uh, could be a multi-year event um, as far as re- full recovery is concerned. We don't know if there'll be a second wave. But I will say that um, we've been uh, thrown everything but the kitchen sink as far as the economy with COVID-19. The only other unforeseen event I could see is an international event, which would uh, divert our attention or at least garner some attention. And it wouldn't be good. Brad Blakeman, thank you, my friend. You're writing the book. Is it, are you using this time to write the book? I have a book that's being written as we speak. All right, good. Brad Blakeman, make sure to come back and tell us about it. He's a Republican strategist, good friend of the program. Appreciate it. I'm Kevin Cirilli. That's it for me. Thanks to all of our guests, and thanks to you for listening to the one and only Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than a destination. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Find a Stiefel Financial Advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.